The Lord be with you and with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you. That very day, the first day of the week, two of Jesus' disciples were going to a village seven miles from Jerusalem called Emmaus. And they were conversing about all the things that had occurred. And it happened that while they were conversing and debating, Jesus himself drew near and walked with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing as you walk along? They stopped. Looking downcast, one of them named Cleopas said to him in reply, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know of the things that have taken place there in these days? And he replied to them, What sort of things? They said to him, The things that appear that happened to Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all people, how our chief priests and rulers both handed him over to a sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it is now the third day since this took place. Some of the women from our group, however, have astounded us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came back and reported that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who announced that he was alive. Then some of those uh, with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women had described, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are! How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets spoke! Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them what referred to him in all the scriptures. As they approached the village to which they were going, he gave the impression that he was going on further. But they urged him, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And it happened that while he was with them at table, he took bread said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them. With that, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us, while he spoke to us on the way and opened the scriptures to us? So they set out at once and returned to Jerusalem, where they found gathered together the eleven of those with whom they were saying, The Lord is tru- has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then the two recounted what had taken place on the way, and how he had made known to them in how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, today we have that uh, beautiful story of the road to Emmaus, which I'm sure we've all heard before. 
One of the things that always sticks out to me uh, very strongly is kind of the reflection back that the, that the disciples do. They say, we're not our hearts burning within us, right? Kind of as, as they're reflecting back, they're like, oh yeah, that was a very uh, privileged place, right? And so they recognize that their hearts were burning, right? In the moment, they didn't recognize it. But later on, they do. Now, for myself, uh, I have that similar kind of experience at times when something really connects with you, especially in Scripture. And so there are are quite a few uh, Scripture verses or Scripture passages that specifically make my heart, you know, kind of burn. Um, And and I hope that there are for you as well. But I would also say that it's, it's somewhat fickle. Such as, I'll give you an example of kind of the fickleness of this burning. Um, So one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 16. And I love uh, to pray it on occasion. I've memorized half of it because I like the first half. The second half is is good as well. I just, you know, it it gets long, right? Um, So I've memorized the first part of it. And uh, it also is one of the psalms that every single week in night prayer I pray I reference it often. And so that's one of the psalms that every single time I kind of read it, I can kind of reconnect with the way that the Lord has spoke to me in it, um, and kind of my heart burns within me. Now, I was preparing for the homily today, and reading through the scriptures, and there's just sometimes when scripture just doesn't speak to you. And so... I was reading the Acts of the Apostles, and there's this section that Peter, uh, you know, in the first reading that Peter is referencing, for David says of him, and this is referencing a psalm, and it says, you know, I saw the Lord ever before me is my right hand, I shall not be disturbed. I'm kind of like, yada, 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 not really, I don't really understand the context, I'm not really getting it. Then I was reading the psalm, and again, I was reading it, and I was like, well, I don't know. It's the, oh, okay, I get it, because it's the same as the Acts of the Apostles, but not really, not really much there. I'm not really getting it. I'm not really feeling it. And then I noticed that uh, the psalm for today, and the psalm that Peter is referencing, is Psalm 16. <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorite psalms, uh, but yet the context was different. I was just looking at it in a different light, and I had zero connection whatsoever to it, and didn't really, you know, have any connection or, or anything to it. And so I didn't even want to reference it. And then I saw that it was Psalm 16, and I'm like, oh, uh, oh, this, this psalm. And so I took a second look at it, and I was like, oh, actually, this is one of my favorite psalms. And I would say for ourselves, we have a similar experience often with God, right? I hope that we've had certain experiences where we experience a closeness to the Lord, right? Um, Certain times when we can say, well, maybe right now I'm not feeling like God is close, but, you know, at this time, in these ways, right? And we kind of say, well, you know, these other ways, God just doesn't, you know, really connect with me. Maybe that's mass, right? Um, You know, God just doesn't really connect with me in this way. What I would say is that, yeah, there are certain things that, you know, God doesn't connect with, or or sometimes we feel our hearts burning a little bit more than others. Um, But I think a lot of the times it is our engagement 
our openness and our connection with what's happening. What we see in the road to Emmaus is one of the first kind of masses that takes place. Uh, But I would say one of the things that I think is very telling about it is the way that the disciples enter into that interaction. How do they enter in? They don't enter in with no expectations. They don't enter in with no uh, problems. They enter in with a lot of questions, a lot of suffering, a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of, quite frankly, despair, right? And they're talking amongst themselves about what that means, right? How does that mean? How does that fit into my life? And then they enter into, right, and they talk with God about it. Now, of course, this is, uh, you know, one of the greatest, you know, uh, just beautiful interactions, you know, this fact that God would come to them and walk with them in this and explain everything to them, right? And we kind of wish that he would do that with us. Um, But the thing is, is that he does, right? He does actually meet us and walk with us. In what way? Well, every single Mass takes place what happens here, right? We come with certain prayers, right? Certain petitions, certain questioning, certain suffering, and then we say, you know, like, God, don't you, don't you know what's going on, right? Are you the only one who doesn't see this suffering in my life, right? Are you the only one who doesn't get, you know, that the coronavirus is really messing up the world? And then God's like, oh, yeah, oh, uh, I don't really know what you're, you know, what are you, what are you talking about? And then, of course, we have to tell him, you know, even though that he already knows, right? And it's funny, that's one of the lines that I love. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know of the things that have taken place in these days? Which is funny because he's the only one who actually knows what happened, right? And he says, oh, what sort of things, right? He wants us to engage with him in that way, right? And then they talk about their woes, right? Well, we thought Jesus was going to be this amazing person, and then he wasn't, and he died. But, but now we're not exactly sure because his body isn't there, and some people said that they saw angels, and we just don't know what to believe, right? We sit, you know, we think that he can do this, but yet he's not, and I just don't get it. And then Jesus says, right, oh, how foolish you are, right? I love these. These always make me laugh because it's totally uh, contrary to what our normal, you know, interpretation of Jesus is, right? Well, why would Jesus, you know, stand by while they're complaining or whatnot? Why wouldn't he correct them or, or you know, help them out right away? No, he kind of leads them along and then, oh, how foolish you are, right? He kind of points out that, and he points out that to myself often, right? Oh, how foolish you are, right? Um, And then he talks about, and then he says, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And I think that's one of the most important lines. We don't receive all of what Jesus tells his disciples, which I so wish that we did, but he tells us one of the most important lines. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? 
Why is that the most important line? Because I think it helps us to interpret all of what God does, right? We say, well, he could have done it a different way. He didn't need to die. He didn't need to do this. He doesn't need to, you know, why doesn't he fix this situation or that situation? And God says, it's necessary. It's necessary. Even though that we say that it it seems as though it's not, he says it's necessary that Christ should suffer these things to enter into his glory. And I would say the same thing with our lives, right? Why doesn't God just take all of these things away from us? It's necessary so that you might enter into your glory, right? Enter his, not, not your glory like completely separated from God, but your glory united with Christ in his suffering as well. And then he gives one of the best homilies ever, which is much better than this one right here, right? Uh, which I wish that we had, right? And this is what happens during Mass, right? We come with our needs, right? Then we hear God. God starts to speak to us. And, and through the scriptures, he speaks to us. And then it's interpreted, just as Jesus interprets it. And then what happens after that? Well, they sit down for a meal, right? They say, stay with us. Wow, our, we, we're, we're really amazed by this. We want you even more, right? We don't want to just hear about it. We want you to stay with us. And then we have the Last Supper, right? And, and this, um, we have this, this term that's used, the breaking of the bread. And whenever we hear breaking of the bread in the New Testament, we should think right away of the Last Supper, of the Eucharist, of Mass. Because the early church didn't have the language that we necessarily have. Um, it didn't have the Mass exactly the way that we have it with a big, huge church. But they did have Mass. They had the breaking of the bread, where they they called to mind the thanksgiving that Jesus gave. And he said, you know, do this in remembrance of me. And so they broke the bread similarly. So whenever we hear breaking of the bread, we should think Mass. And so Jesus takes the bread, gives thanks, and in the breaking of the bread, their eyes are open. They see who it is. And just like us, at the breaking of the bread, at the Eucharistic prayer, we see Jesus. Now, in this story, he disappears. He disappears, one of the interpretations is because he uh, becomes the Eucharist, you know? Um, Which is a cool interpretation. I don't think it's the absolute only interpretation. Uh, But their eyes are open and they see Jesus. Similarly for us, we see Jesus in the Eucharist. And then they can't help but realize what was happening, right? Our hearts were burning. They start to reflect on it, right? Oh, Jesus answered the questions in these ways. And then they can't help but go forth and tell other people about it. And similarly, the Mass sends us forth. And so, as we're here today, I hope that you come with many questions for God. I hope you come with certain interactions with God, right? With certain connections, certain ways where you've experienced your heart burning. And maybe your heart is burning by hearing the scriptures today because you were reading them earlier today and connecting with them. Or maybe not. But I would just invite you uh, to continue to come and bring your prayers to Him. Continue to ask his, his help, His interpretation, to ask Him to stay with you. 
and to not just interpret in our isolated bubble of understanding, right, as those disciples were trying to figure it out by themselves, but invite God into that. Invite God into that so that uh, we might experience what God actually means by this all. Be open to the interpretation that God wants to give us. Um, And ultimately, be formed in his understanding of the world and not just ours. And so, hopefully like me, uh, you can have some scripture that, that speaks to you, like Psalm 16, and certain scriptures that don't speak to you, like Psalm 16, right? Um, sometimes when it's good, sometimes when it's bad, and recognize that it's not always our fault, it's not always God's fault, right? Uh, but it's the fickleness and how foolish we are. We come to be before God foolish, and we ask that he might open our eyes and allow us to really see him in the ways that he's working and in our life today.